We are going to uh, interrupt our study of the book of 2 Samuel this morning because we are partaking of communion. As you can see, the uh, elements are before us. So this morning, we're going to be partaking of communion, which is also known as the Lord's Supper. And it has been quite an extensive period of time since I really explained uh, communion in any detail. So this morning, my thought is that I'm just going to explain what it is that we are doing this morning so that we're all on the same page and we really understand this important uh, celebration that we're entering into as we partake of communion together. So the theme of this morning's message is simply the Lord's Supper explained. The Lord's Supper explained. I begin with the, the prayer that's associated with the Lord's Supper. The timing of the prayer for the Lord's Supper is significant. The time of the Lord's Supper was on the night that Jesus was handed over to his enemies by, Jesus, by Judas, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, now these words, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. The purpose of this is to set the context of the Lord's Supper. It helps us to understand the dynamics of what is taking place. There are many things that we could focus upon. It's the night of the Passover, and that has a lot of theological significance, to be sure. But our particular text points to the fact that it, it is the night in which the Lord is betrayed that he institutes the Lord's Supper, the night in which he was betrayed. Jesus is well aware of the events that are going to be transpiring that evening. He is very much aware that he is going to be dying on the cross. Not only that he's dying on the cross, but he knows about Judas and Judas's betrayal of himself, that he is going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Much, much earlier in his earthly ministry, he made reference to why he had chosen Judas as a disciple. And in John chapter 6, verse 70, it says this, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. So from the very start, from the very time that he invited Judas to be a part of his intimate circle, one of the 12 disciples, Jesus knew at that very moment that three years later, Judas would be betraying Jesus. So that comes as no surprise, no surprise. But it's on that night, on that night that this dastardly deed is going to take place that Jesus institutes the, uh, the Lord's Supper. Now, why is that significant? Well, look at what it says about the prayer. The description of the prayer, it was a prayer of thanksgiving. Jesus offered a prayer of thankfulness. We're not told the specifics, but rather the characterization of the prayer. It was a prayer in which Jesus expressed his thankfulness. Notice verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said. This word to give thanks 
in the Greek is the word Eucharisto. And that might mean something to some of you because one of the terms for the Lord's Supper, communion, another is the Eucharist, the Eucharist. And the Eucharist comes from this very word to give thanks, Eucharisto. It was his giving of thanks. And so in some groups, the emphasis of communion is this element of, of thanksgiving, and it certainly is appropriate for Jesus was, was thankful, was thankful. This helps us to understand the spirit in which communion is to be entered into. We are to be thankful. We're to be appreciative. We are to be grateful for all that the Lord has done for us. But I want to focus, first of all, on Jesus' own thankfulness. He's expressing thankfulness, not just on behalf of the disciples, but he himself is thankful as he enters into this communion table with his disciples. He says elsewhere that he longed to be eating this Passover with them. He was looking forward to this night in which they'd be celebrating this, this new understanding of Passover in the form of communion, in spite of the fact that he knows that Judas is going to betray him. In spite of the fact that he knows that he is going to be hanging upon a cross, but it's the very reason that he came. The very reason that he came into this world was in order to forgive us our sins and to make us right with God. And so he is, he is thankful. I say to you, there are so many things in life that, that can distract us. So many circumstances in life that we can become disgruntled. We can be upset. We can become discouraged. And as you come together this morning, there are things going on in your life. There are situations that you're experiencing that maybe you're not too happy with. And maybe you're not too excited about. And maybe people have disappointed you or let you down. And you're discouraged and disgruntled about that. You know, as the disciples come together, the Word of God tells us that as they gather this very night and as they're taking communion, they're arguing among themselves about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. When they thought of Jesus entering into the kingdom, their immediate thought was, how's this going to affect me and my status? And they're arguing among themselves about who's going to be the greatest. In the midst of all of that, Jesus is thankful. Jesus is thankful. And I would submit to you that rising above all of our own experiences and all of our own difficulties and all of our own discouragements and all of our own frustrations and all of our lesser betrayals, that there ought to be a spirit of thankfulness as we enter into communion, as, as we realize what, what Jesus has done for us and for our fellow believers. And the next thing that I'd like to point out, not just incidentally, is that it's a prayer of thankfulness. It is not a prayer in which he is turning his body and uh, he's turning the bread into his body and the blood, uh, excuse me, and the wine into his blood. This is not a prayer of transformation. It's a prayer of thanksgiving, which leads us up to the emblems of the Lord's Supper. And first of all, the nature of the emblems. 
The emblems are symbols of and not the actual body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are three views, common views, of communion. The first is referred to as transubstantiation. In the view of transubstantiation, the belief is that the emblems, the bread and the wine, are transformed into the actual body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is this mystical transformation and they become the literal body and the literal blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Roman Catholic view. Then there is consubstantiation. It is the belief that the physical presence is, of Christ is manifested in the body and the blood, in the bread and in the, the wine or the grape juice. Uh, in that view, the body of Christ is present and alongside the emblems of the bread and the cup, that they coexist. They're not mingled, they're separate, but yet they coexist. Martin Luther, and this is the Lutheran view of communion, Martin Luther said this. He said the elements took on the properties of the body and blood of Christ while being distinct from the body and blood of Christ. He likened it unto a poker in a fire where he says the poker takes on the properties of the fire and becoming hot. And it might glow, it might turn red uh, and then white. And it takes on the properties of the fire, but is distinct from the fires. And so that is consubstantiation in which the body and the blood are seen in the properties of the elements of the bread and the cup. Then the third view is the memorial view. That is, the bread and the cup are symbolic representations of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is not a physical manifestation of his presence. Uh, we believe, of course, that his presence is with us all the time. and We believe there's a special sense in which his presence are with us when we gather for worship, but we do not believe that that presence is manifested uniquely in relationship to the, uh, the bread and, and the wine of, of communion. That is the Bible Fellowship Church's position as well as many other evangelical churches. Are the words associated with the Lord's Supper to be taken literally or metaphorically? That answers the question as to which one of these three views is best represented by the text. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, we read this. And when he had given thanks, that's Jesus, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup and after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the question is, are we to understand those words literally, or are we to understand them figuratively? Uh, are, are these to be understood as a metaphor, or actual literal statements? 
When Jesus hands the bread to the disciples, he says, this is my body. We understand that literally, or do we understand that figuratively? Well, there are two ways I think we can go about answering that question from the text. The first is to realize that when Jesus is saying that, that he is physically standing before them. And he is handing them the emblem. So you have to remember that it is Jesus who is taking a common loaf and breaking off a piece of this loaf of bread that they all see. It's in front of them. They know what it is. It's a loaf of bread. And he's taking off a piece and he's handing it to them and says, this is my body. Okay. Are they going to assume at that moment that his body has been transformed into this element that he's handing them Or do they understand by his physical presence that he's talking figuratively, that it represents his body? I would submit to you that the latter is the most natural way of understanding it. They would not have jumped to the conclusion that all of a sudden he has transformed this bread into his body. Secondly, it says this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It doesn't say that the wine or the grape juice is my blood. He says it's the cup. Now, nobody believes that the cup becomes the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone understands the cup to represent what the cup holds, namely the grape juice or the wine. So he's saying that this grape juice or wine is my blood. When he says my cup, he's not really referring to the cup. He's referring to what the cup holds. So that helps us to understand that he's talking about a figure here. You cannot take the second statement literally. You have to understand it as the whole for a part. The cup representing what actually the cup holds. So it's kind of a safeguard, if you will, in the text to let us know that he's talking figuratively, not literally. The significance of the emblems. Well, the the bread represents the body of Christ, which was given for us. If you look at verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now we're focusing on this statement for you, for you. This is my body, which is for you. For you has a significant force in the Greek language. The preposition here is not so much with you in mind, but rather in place of you, instead of you. This is my body, which is in place of your body. It is for you. This is where we get the doctrine. It's not only taught here, but it's what we refer to as the substitutionary atonement that Jesus died in our place, that he himself bore in his own body our sins on the tree, 1 Peter 2.24. So Jesus died in our place, in our place. 
He's saying, this is my body in your place. What is striking here and is easily missed is that the you in verse 24 is plural. It's a plural you. In English, we run into a a problem because you can be either singular or plural. You individually or you as a congregation. It can refer to one or it can refer to many. Unless you're from the down south and you say y'all, which can be helpful, all right? So y'all refers to everybody. But uh, we're not from the South, and so we don't use y'all. And uh, the uh, New Testament is not translated you and y'all, but it just simply says you. But here it's the plural you. The plural you. So Jesus is saying, this is my body, which is given for you, referring to the disciples. Referring to the disciples. Uh, as a whole. As a whole. So we take communion together, for it represents what Jesus has done for us collectively. That there is this recognition when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. It isn't just my sin. But he died on the cross for my brother and sister's sin as well. And that makes us one. And I'm going to talk about that when we get to the end of the message. But the, the you is plural here. The cup represents the establishment of the New Testament in Christ's blood. Uh, could be translated, the new covenant in my blood. The blood of the covenant is established. The new covenant is established in Christ's blood. The nature of the new covenant is given to us in Hebrews chapter 8 and following. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So this covenant that is in Christ's blood is this promise that he makes that I will remember their sins no more. That when he bore our sins and he bore our iniquities, it is so that he will be merciful for them and remember them no more. Now that's significant because we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper and we're to be remembering. Remembering. We're to remember what he forgets. He forgets about our iniquities. He forgets about our sins. They are done away. They are removed as far as the east is from the west. They're gone through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the promise of the covenant. I will remember their sins no more. This because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again in Hebrews, it says, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant. Hebrews 9.15, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. 
Now, not to get overly technical here, but there's a, there's a synonym for the word covenant, and that's testament. Testament. And we use it, we talk about our Bibles. We talk Old Testament, New Testament. Really, that means Old Covenant, New Covenant. The Old Testament focuses on the Old Covenant. The New Testament focuses on the New Covenant, this covenant that he makes in his blood that our sins are forgiven. And it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 9, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that should come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, justify our consciences from dead works to serve the living and true God? The scripture says that goats and bulls cannot take away sin. Jesus Christ died and took away our sin through his shed blood. The actions in the Lord's Supper. The actions, the acts of the communicants, they were to eat and drink Verse 24 and 25. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 25. But let a man examine himself. Let him eat and drink. Let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. The eating and drinking is symbolic of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is symbolic of accepting this covenant, trusting in this covenant of Jesus' body and blood taking away our sins. In John chapter 6, there is the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And after Jesus miraculously uh, provides bread for the 5,000, he then makes an application. He says this in John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up that last day. So now in John chapter 6, Jesus equates believing in him as eating, figuratively, his body and flesh. In John chapter 6, verse 47, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. I came to give you life. Bread, nourishment. I will give you life. And then in verse 31, it says, 
51, I am the living bread came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. And the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh, referring to the fact that he is going to die on the cross. So as the body is represented in the bread figuratively, as the blood of Christ is represented in the wine or grape juice figuratively, our eating is a figurative representation of our trusting in Jesus Christ for our very life, our nourishment, our spiritual health, our strength. The forgiveness of sins comes through Christ and Christ alone. And as I partake it, I'm saying that publicly. I'm believing in Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus. I have no hope of eternal life apart from Jesus. My sins cannot be forgiven apart from Jesus. It is only in Jesus are my iniquities and my sins remembered no more. And so I eat, I proclaim, I figuratively am expressing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who's the bread of life. The manner in which communion is to be observed. It's observed as a remembrance of the Lord. Verse 34 and 35. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, doing remembrance of me. And the same also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is new covenant, my blood this do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Communion is to serve as a reminder to us of the basis of our salvation, of all that Jesus has done. It's a reminder of our spiritual renewal and strength and acceptance with God. The word for remembrance here is a strong word, similar to our word for flashback. It's a kind of reliving. Not that this is a continual sacrifice, but we're to come to God afresh, putting our trust in him. It is a, a remembrance, and we could say in, in one sense, it's a reenactment. It's a reenactment. It's a rehearsal of what took place that 2,000 years ago when Jesus ate with his disciples. We are going back. We are reminding ourselves of the importance of Jesus' death and resurrection and coming again. It is a renewal of our commitment and of our faith Communion is always to be observed in remembrance of the Lord, never for any other reason. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. It does not say how often we are to observe the Lord's Supper. It doesn't say you should do this at every service. It doesn't say you should do this once a month. It doesn't say you should do this quarterly. There is no particular time frame for observing the Lord's Supper. It just simply says, as often as you do it. Rather, what is universal is whenever you do it. Whenever you do it, it's to be done in remembrance of him, proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. And it's for that reason that we're not in 2 Samuel. 
Because 2 Samuel chapter 8 does not proclaim the death of Lord Jesus Christ or the gospel. And the scripture says, whenever you partake of communion, that's the focus. That's the focus. That's the focus. And so wherever we are, we always go to a passage that is going to talk about the death or the resurrection or the coming again or the forgiveness of sins, something that has to do with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For that is the purpose of communion. For it says in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This proclaiming of the Lord's death is a proclamation. It's an illustration of the Lord's death to believers. It is an opportunity for us to speak about the Lord's death, his resurrection, his coming again. For it says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. About the whole sphere of salvation, what Jesus was accomplishing when he hung upon that cross, when he died and shed his blood, how, though dead, would rise again from the dead. Three days later, the tomb was empty. We sang about that this morning, the empty tomb. Ascended to heaven, and he's coming again. And he's coming again. And so we continually celebrate communion until he comes. Until he comes. This has been a tradition going on in the church for 2,000 years, and it will continue to the day he comes. Well, this is what the church is about. This is, this is our responsibility. This is our duty and privilege. This is our joy and delight to be able to talk about what Jesus has done for us in this new covenant and taking away our sins and forgiving us. It's a proclamation, an illustration of the Lord's death to the non-believer. It's a proclamation of the gospel, a vivid illustration this morning, of a choice, a choice that each and one of us must make. A choice that each and every one of us must make. We believe in the doctrine of election. We also believe that every single man has to make a choice, and woman and child, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. By his grace, we make that choice. But this morning, you need to make a choice. And the beautiful thing about communion is it's illustrative that a non-choice is a choice. A non-choice is a choice. This morning, you're going to be faced with a, are you going to eat or are you not going to eat? Your eating says, I believe and I trust in Lord Jesus Christ and my sins are forgiven. Not eating makes a statement. Now let me just, well. So, you know, uh, there's this opportunity to proclaim the gospel in a very real way. Uh, have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you realize that it's only through his shed blood and his death and his resurrection that you have any hope of eternal life? That with, apart from that, your sins aren't forgiven. If you believe that, you're encouraged to eat. 
If you don't believe that, you're encouraged not to eat. For it's a symbolic representation, which brings us to the next statement. The warnings associated with eating the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper should not be eaten in an unworthy manner, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So wherein does this unworthiness lie? The unworthiness lies in not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment to himself. The word for discern is often used in conjunction with the weather. To look at the sky and ascertain whether it's about to rain or not. We've all done that. We go outside. We look at the sky. We have a, a sense of the, the feel, the, the air, the odor in the air. And, and we say, you know, it's, it's going to rain soon. Or we go outside and it's a bright and beautiful sunny day. And we don't have any qualms about mowing hay or putting convertible tops down. We say, it's not going to rain today. It's not going to rain today. Discerning, discerning. Well, if we partake of the Lord's Supper without discerning, without understanding, without a realization of what we're doing, it's to our detriment, it's not to our benefit. We need to take communion with our eyes wide open. Fully understanding what we're doing. We're saying, I'm believing in Jesus as the author of my salvation. I am trusting that his death and his resurrection is taking away my sins and nothing else will. That's what I'm saying when I'm taking communion. And that's the way that communion is to be entered into. So primarily, it's referring to discerning the... Uh, significance of the Lord's death. But there's a second way in which this is also to be understood. And it's to reflect the oneness we have in Christ. All who believe in him are part of his body. Chapter 11 is built on chapter 10. And unfortunately this morning, I can't preach through chapter 10 and chapter 11. But I invite you, if you've got your Bibles handy, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. That's referring to communion, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. It says, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a partition in the body of Christ? Verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. So now the body of Christ is used in still another way. Now, the body of Christ is referring to all believers who are gathered here this morning. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're part of a body, you're part of a group. You have a relationship to Christ, and as a relationship to Christ, you have a relationship to one another. And in that relationship to one another, just as Christ forgives us of our sins, we need to forgive the sins of one another. There is not to be animosity or hatred or or ill will that exists among the people of God. Look with me at 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as, as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. 
For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. He's saying it's perverted. It's not the Lord's Supper if that's the way that you're going to partake of it. Verse 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So the second way in partaking unworthily is in this divisiveness, in this animosity that can exist even among God's people. Remember, the disciples are arguing about who will be greatest in the kingdom. This is a time to recognize our equal standing before the Lord. What is the basis of our acceptance with God? It's Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. Our belief in that death and resurrection brings us into a relationship with Christ. What brings us into a relationship with one another? Answer, it's the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and our belief in him. The point is, when we come together, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. No other issues, no other circumstances, no other things that divide people. When we gather together, it should be a time of thanksgiving and rejoicing because of what Jesus Christ has done for all of us. Every one of us here who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is forgiven. And their sins are remembered no more. And they're going to be with him in heaven forever and ever. That's true of every single one of us. We are going to be in his presence and nothing will divide us. And nothing should divide us now. And that's what communion proclaims. The significance of the death and resurrection coming again of the Lord Jesus. That he died for our sins, plural. And that we have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to partake of communion. Ask the men to get ready to come.